I was gonna say, and I've, I've talked to you about this, but I started to watch um, Married at First Sight as as a distraction, so which good. as so as a mental health professional, I freaking love like reality TV. It can't be like too trashy. Like I don't think I get into like Jersey Shore level reality yeah, TV. But like just that aspect of like human behavior a little bit and just kind of seeing it. And I also like when like little experiments like these. Um so I've seen like all almost all of the Married at First Sights. Yeah, I started season nine because that's what's on Netflix. So now I'm going to work my way back. But well, yeah, it's especially interesting because they have, like, marriage counselors and, like, psychologists come in and try to give you the perfect match. Which, like, based on the season I watched, they're really not so good at it either. So, I yeah, know, that makes me, like, feel better, I guess. But, um, what was I, I going to say? Oh, the best thing about it is that there's a lady and she's a doctor and her name is Pepper. Oh, yeah. So she's Dr. Dr. Pepper. Pepper. (laughs) And these people just call her Dr. Pepper and they don't even laugh or, like, (laughs) they just say it seriously. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Her name's Dr. Pepper. Like, I guarantee you that lady just got her PhD so that everyone would call her Dr. Pepper. Hello everyone and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc, etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. When you suggested this, I kind of hated you a little bit. And I personally wanted to avoid ever talking about these cases on our show. Um, It's a true crime podcast. If we're going to do it, we got to do it. You're right. You're right. Well, that's why I came up with some disclaimers and i'm going i'm going first this week so first off as a disclaimer um as a podcast we want to provide informative stories that are you know entertaining but also educational and i feel like i want to lean more on the educational side especially as we're talking about cases that are i don't think i said this yet but So focusing on predators and pedophiles. So I think that this is definitely a less explored topic when it comes to women and just in life in general. We do not talk often about female predators or pedophiles. Um, So another part of this disclaimer too is So there's this one podcast that I like to listen to that is like former FBI and um, like district attorney. And so the guy always says how he hates 
calling people predators because it makes it seem like there's this, you know, distinct type of person out there that's creepy when in actuality a predator is more likely to be, you know, like your friend or family, which is a little bit tragic. Um, but I don't have a better word for that. Um, so I'm just going to say like predator. Yeah. I think that, I think that we should be changing how we view the term predator instead of trying to find a new term, because like, as they said, it, it could be anyone. And so I think part of why I wanted to talk about these cases this week is because I think it's often not considered as serious when it's a woman who is in the predatory role. Um, And women can be predators and they can be people that you know. Sorry. (laughs) Women are capable of being predators too. And it's necessary to bring awareness to these issues. Um, And so I want to highlight that our hope is never to discuss survivors in a way or their situation in a way that is disrespectful or does not, you know, have some educational background to it. Um, and so I know that we say this, I think, at the, the end of our podcast, it's, um, you know, if you or someone you know is experiencing abuse, um, please reach out to, you know, I think we, what do we list? It's like the domestic violence yeah. number and the suicide hotline. Um, you know, you can also reach out to like a local child advocacy center or there are resources out there. And if you're experiencing that, like, I'm happy to provide you like a list of resources. So I have some issues with my case before I even go into it. And I think that you may have the same issue, but... So I'm doing the case of Sarah Dawson, D-O-W-S-O-N. So it's going to sound like I'm saying Dawson, but it's D-O-W-S-O-N in case you want to look her up. Um, So my first issue with my case is that the sources literally some my one source used the word teen lover in like the title and throughout the descriptions, which is wrong for a case when you're talking about someone being a predator. I don't think someone can really be a teen lover like that's just creepy and i think we need to look at the way that we're reporting these types of things i think it's great that there's been a lot of awareness going into um you know talking about protecting female survivors but we should give the same consideration to male survivors um so that's my issue number one is that my source is called the the survivor a teen lover that's gross um and it's also impossible for someone that is underage to give consent so it's not like a loving situation they're not a lover um another issue that i have is that the articles referred to the woman perpetrator as a mother like no matter what the it didn't matter what part they didn't just call her like this woman did x y or z they were like mother of three did this or this which i think is kind of dumb that you can't like separate that the fact that someone has children from the fact that like I feel like it would be the same as if there was someone who had kids that was a man like father of three robbed a bank you know what I'm saying yeah it's so like a just... intentional reframing um right of of the perpetrator when right it's unnecessary also like I think part of it too is that a woman 
can be more than just being a mother outside of like, oh, just because she has kids doesn't necessarily mean that. Because I think that could be used in like a positive and negative way in in articles, you know, um, if they're talking about like the achievements of a woman and they're they just call her like a mother constantly. Um, if it has like nothing to do with her being a mother, which I don't think that my case really had too much, but um, that was just a little irk that I had to uh, talk about before I get started. Um, so like I said, I'm doing the case of Sarah Dawson. So Sarah and her husband, Thomas, both worked at a Chinese food restaurant in 2014. This case is also international before I get started. I think it takes place in England. Basingstoke. I don't know what that is. No idea. Hutchins Way. It sounds England. You can tell that I'm a professional because I really <laughs> researched this. Um, baking stoke stock. Whatever. Um, so her and her husband both worked at a Chinese food restaurant in 2014. So in May of 2014, Sarah started to send sexually explicit messages to a teen co-worker. Um, one thing that the articles did do well is they never named the teen co-worker, so I'm just going to be calling him, like, teen or teenager throughout. Um, so, her and this teen co-worker engaged in sex in a wooded area after a celebration of the teenager's 18th birthday. They met up with, again a few days later for another sexual encounter. So, a few weeks later, Sarah began to contact the teenager, telling him that she was pregnant with his child. He expressed that he was upset and he wanted Sarah to get a termination for her pregnancy. A little while after, Sarah texted the teenager and told him that she was in a hotel having a miscarriage. The teenager was out with his friends at the time and didn't see the text, so he didn't reply in a timely manner. Sarah was angry and took this to mean that he was ignoring her texts in, in a time of stress. Um, so in September of 2015, Sarah said that she was not handling the loss of her child well and wanted to get pregnant again. She began to harass and blackmail the teen, saying she was going to tell his parents about the pregnancy and the miscarriage. Um, at the same time, uh, prosecutors later found out that Sarah was texting her husband and um, saying, you know, I was never pregnant at all during all this. So she confessed to lying via text. So this, you know, wasn't, wasn't a surprise to her. Um, so Sarah continued to harass the teenager, sending approximately 400 messages over the course of 100 days. She threatened suicide if the teenager did not help get her pregnant. Um, so side note, if someone's expressing suicidal thoughts, you absolutely do not need to handle this on your own. Get help from a trained professional um, as soon as possible. Call 911 if the person's at an immediate risk. Um, Sorry, I also wanted to say that when somebody threatens suicide in order to get you to do something, that is a form of emotional abuse. So please take care of yourselves. I know you don't want your loved ones to harm themselves, but still, that's manipulation. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I got to say, when someone threatens suicide, it is important to take it seriously. Being on the receiving end of emotional blackmail is so, so challenging. Um, and it looks like that was happening in this case. So it is possible for people to threaten suicide as, as a form of emotional abuse or as a form of, of blackmail. And even if you, you know, don't believe that 
or believe that they're only saying it for that reason, it's still important to take it seriously and report it to, um, you know, a mental health professional to pull someone in because A, it's horrible for you to experience that and to have that kind of pressure all on your own. And B, even if they're not actively planning or at active risk, they're still clearly going through something and need additional support and care at that time. So even if you think like, oh, they're just saying this to threaten me, I think it's important to always err on the side of caution and try to get them connected with some kind of help. Um, So when um, this was all going on, um, she coerced the teenager into having sex four or five more times. Um, So even while this person was of age at the time like by our standards in america you know the age of consent is kind of it differs from state to state but i think 18 is like the blanket consent but this person was freshly 18 years old i think even 18 year olds you know it's not like there's some magic switch that gets flipped and the second you turn 18 you're suddenly like a hundred percent functioning adult um I think especially this woman was 32 years old at the time and this person was 18. I think 18 year olds are like basically still children. So, and especially like she was very coercive throughout this process. It was clear that he did not want to engage in sexual activity or have sex and she coerced him by threatening suicide. Um, So in February of 2016, Dawson was still not pregnant. The teenager shared he no longer wanted to have a sexual relationship which, in fairness, the whole time he did not want a sexual relationship. She just pressured him into it. She blamed the teenager, claiming he was taking her baby away from her, but at the same time was texting her husband saying, I want to have another child. I want to have another child. Um, So in November of 2016, uh, Sarah eventually, she did get pregnant by her husband earlier and gave birth to a child. The mother of the teenager supported Sarah through the full term because Sarah told her that the child belonged to her son. So Sarah had bought fake scans off of eBay, and the scans showed the name of the mother, the date of the scan, and other details that supported how far along she was supposed to be at the time. In December of 2016, she demanded that the family begin to make child support payments. The family was supportive of this, um, but they wanted to go through the legal process and, and requested a paternity test. Sarah refused. Um, she was like, you know what? Fine. I'll submit a paternity test on my own. All I need is, is DNA from the teenager. And at this point, the family knew something was off and contacted the police. Um, so Sarah went ahead and sent some doctor DNA reports to the family in an attempt to get child payment supports. Um, I believe what had happened was she got the DNA results showing that her husband was the father and just doctored them. So it showed the the teenager was the father of the child instead. Um, So later, the teen's mother told the court, as far as she knew, her child was the father of the baby and Sarah was no longer with her husband. She always had doubts about Sarah, and um, but Sarah always provided an explanation or a reason as to why, you know, something was the way it was. Went a little too crazy with the Photoshop, I think. Um, So... She just wanted to be involved in her grandchild's life and maintain a good relationship with Sarah, who she believed was the mother of her grandchild. Um, So one of my sources said the family looked after the child for 
over three years kind of throughout this process treating the child like it was their own family um so in 2017 the police called sarah for a voluntary interview about harassment allegations i realize hmm maybe one of my sources was wrong i don't know if they could have cared for the child for three years maybe it ended up being three years total after all this happened um but so in 2017, the police called Sarah for a voluntary interview about harassment allegations. The next morning, Sarah sent an email to the Hampshire Constabulary, Constabulary, the English police. Constabulary? I have no idea. Okay. So professional. Anyway, um, so claiming that the teenager had raped her two years ago. In April of that year, she sat down for a recorded interview alleging the teenager was forceful with her and she, you know, said, no, I don't want to do this, but she would eventually gave in. Um, The teen was arrested and held for 10 and a half hours while undergoing questioning. Sarah sent fabricated messages depicting emails, Facebook messages, and Snapchat messages to the English police equivalent claiming that they were from the teenager and his current girlfriend so these messages contained rape and death threats sarah's husband thomas was on her side the entire time backing up her story that the rape occurred and that he had seen the teenager and his girlfriend at their home you know making threats to to his wife laura lawyers later argued that um thomas believed that what he was saying was true and that he was just trying to defend sarah So it's a little bit unclear, you know, how much he was maybe coerced into this situation. Clearly he was, you know, lying and making some things up, even if he was like 100% believed that what she was saying was true. Um, But also I want to, you know, understand that he could have been easily manipulated by her as well because she clearly was a very manipulative person. So Sarah was arrested after she tried to obtain a non molestation order which is a type of injunction a survivor of abuse can get to protect themselves and their family from their abuser um so she tried to get this against the teen and family court she also contacted his and his girlfriend's workplace to tell them about the false rape so sarah was jailed for three and a half years um and her husband was ordered to complete 10 rehabilitation activity requirement days which when i looked in it appeared to be like community service in America, um, and he was the subject of a restraining order, which, in my opinion, sat hers at the very least, you know, sounds like not enough time three and a half years in jail for what she did to this family and what she put them through, and to this, you know, poor, like, freshly turned 18 year old, like, still, like, if you think of any 18 year old that you know, they are usually not fully functioning adults yet you know their frontal lobes still developing they are i was just very upset when i went through this case and i think that part what what it made me think of and you can let me know is histronic personality disorder histrionic histrionic yeah I can see that, um, that histrionic is one of those that has some similarities in my opinion, a little bit of borderline, a little bit of narcissistic. Yes. 
But I think that it's one of those disorders that... Like, I'm trying to think back to school and when we were learning about it, I think that certain disorders present in different way in men and women and are... Even, like, now, there are some... It's, like, skewed towards certain behavior that's more common in women, and I think that this is one of them, so... Yeah. For that reason, I think that it can occur more often. Mm-hmm. Or it appears to occur more often in women. Yeah. Um, look up the background to that, because I'm, you know... I'm just speaking off of what I can kind of remember from school. Um, But histrionic, why I'm saying that is because there seem to be some themes kind of throughout the story of, I know that suicide threats is is part of histrionic. Um, I was looking into it earlier. Yeah, I just pulled it up. Histrionic. I think I keep saying Mm -hmm. it wrong. And Histrionic histrionic um so some behavioral um, symptoms include preoccupation with your physical appearance seeking um like wanting to be the center of attention or talking very dramatically um some psychological um symptoms can include um feeling like relationships like the relationships that the person has are actually more are closer or more intense than they really are mm-hmm. um being influenced by others very easily um, and depression, and then also having inappropriate sexual or provocative behaviors um, and rapid shifts in emotion. Yeah, inappropriate, seductive, or flirtatious behavior, um, needing to be the center of attention, emotion shifting rapidly, acting very dramatically. Um, these are things that I see. And obviously, you know what, or, you know, like as a mental health professional, we can't like officially make any diagnoses. I just wanted to say that I saw some things and i will put up i'm on webmd right now i'll put that in the the links um if anyone wants to read a little bit more about that um i'm disappointed in myself that i can't pronounce it correctly but why i feel like history histrionic histrionic i just feel unprofessional but you know what (laughs) it is a thousand degrees in boston and my brain is a little raisin right now also, I'm, like, kind of bummed out after that. I'm that sorry. made me really upset. Oh, I also wanted to go into another rant okay. of um, false women falsely reporting allegations. Okay. That's so, so, so upsetting. Because I think, well, okay, so I believe, you know, that it happens. Women falsely report things. Obviously, like, look at Amber Heard. Heard? Heard. Depp, uh, who I want to talk about on this podcast. That's on our we, list, actually. We will definitely have... I've. Oh, God. But okay. <laughs> I went into a little bit of a rabbit hole. I was looking at the men's rights activist page on Reddit, and it was just, like, crazy. But I think there are people who point out, you know, every time that there's a false allegation created by a woman, I think that you're just a really, I don't want to say that you're a terrible person because clearly, you know, there's something going on, but it makes it that much harder that when a woman does come out and isn't believed, I think that you are just fueling that fire of when you're made, like 
this woman is making a false allegation. And so she is adding to the flames of those crazy men's right activist people that are like, well, most women are just making it up anyway. So it really, really, really is frustrating to me because I understand that those women who are making those reports are going through their own things, clearly have their own issues. But, like, please don't do that. Like, please seek therapy instead of making a false allegation and ruining someone's life. And I clearly don't think that the punishment in this case really lived up to the amount of damage that was done. Agreed. So my case is a case that I feel like a lot of people actually already know, but um, the person that I'm talking about, Mary Kay Latornu, um, she actually died um, just this past month or this month. Um, And though, you know, hope she is resting wherever she's resting and I wish peace for those who loved her and those who may have been harmed by her. Um, I just felt like this case in particular could lead to some interesting discussion. Um, a lot of what we've already started to discuss. Um, so yeah. Uh, so I'm doing the case of Mary Kay Latorno and I'm possibly pronouncing her last name incorrectly, but that's what we what do here. Do? We pronounce people's <laughs> names wrong. Um, yeah. Uh, so she was born Mary Catherine Schmitz on January 30th, 1962 um, in the Los Angeles area of California. Uh, so Mary Kay had three siblings. One died as a child. Um, she was actually like at one end of the pool with one of her brothers. And then the other one was at the other end. And the one who was by himself actually drowned. So it was really sad. Um, and she, her two other surviving brothers would actually go on to have political careers, one in the Bush senior administration and the other one very recently in the Trump administration, who I believe had to resign for some not okay things. Um, but, uh, Mary Kay's mother was a chemist and her father taught at a community college and was once a Republican member of the United States House of Representatives. And so I want to give just a little bit of background about her dad, because I found some just kind of interesting things that parallel some of her later behaviors. Um, So in 1972, her father, John G. Schmitz, was a one-time candidate for president of the United States for a non-major party. Um, It sounds like this party was like an offshoot of the Republican Party called the American Independent Party. Um, He obviously did not become president of the United States. And um, her father is said to have held uh, really extremist right wing conservative views and somebody, I guess, using some sort of metric, um, was able to find that her dad was, um, the third most conservative member to ever serve in Congress between 1937 and 2002. He was actually kicked out of an ultra conservative group because his conservative ideologies were just so extreme. 
However, despite aligning himself with the party of family values, uh, Mary Kay's father's political career came to an end in 1982 when it came out that he had an extramarital affair with one of his college students um, with whom he fathered two children. uh, When... Yeah. And so the student, um, the former student, the mother of the children died. Um, Her father actually refused custody of the children. They went on to uh, the mother's best friend who then also died. And rather than stepping in and taking care of the children that he fathered, he allowed them to become wards of the state. Um, Yeah. And so. First of all, I think that it should be like required maybe not well i was just going to say the problem started when there was a college professor having an affair with a student because yeah that is an unfair power dynamic it's just like how you can have sex with like a policeman in custody and it's you know not illegal there's a power dynamic issue there and like college students depending on how old they are are yeah their frontal lobes are still developing and they are you know susceptible to yeah and especially a professor like that is a rule of authority and that should absolutely i don't know that it should be illegal but you should absolutely lose your job if if that happens yeah well for him his political career ended which I guess that's fine. I I get like it bothers me, especially looking at not considering Mary Kay and what will eventually become of her, but the very I think one of her brothers now like is a VP or president of like a major corporation. One was um, like an inspector in the Department of Defense. Like just seeing like how well their lives, the, those two brothers' lives turned out. You wonder about the two siblings who became wards of the state and yeah. what opportunities they may not have gotten because they didn't get the resources that their brothers um, were afforded. Um, so it's disappointing. But going back on to Mary Kay. Um, So Mary Kay attended an all-girls Catholic school before going on to Arizona State University, where she would meet her future husband, Steve Latourneau. They married and eventually had four children. In 1989, Mary Kay graduated um, from Seattle University. So I guess they moved um, for his job or something like that. And so uh, she graduated from Seattle University with a teaching degree and went on to teach second graders and sixth graders eventually at Shorewood Elementary School in Seattle, Washington. The Latourneau's marriage was not described as a happy one, with Mary Kay saying that she was never in love with her husband. Rather, her parents convinced him, convinced her to marry him. A neighbor and um, a man who would later be her attorney described Mary Kay as having been emotionally and physically abused by her husband and that she sought treatment for her injuries from the abuse twice at a hospital. Um, So when Mary Kay was 34 years old um, and she was still married to her husband, she began an inappropriate and predatory I don't like that I'm using this word, quote unquote, relationship. I don't think relationship um, is the right word. They, yeah, it, relationship is not the right word, but what, what would you say? What I'm just trying to think of, I don't know. I kind of want to jump on the, like Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith bandwagon and say entanglement, but, (laughs) um, I, I don't know. Maybe entanglement sounds kind of like 
weird exploits and ex maybe exploitation of some sort i don't know you know what you um, should that's what your degree should be or like defining a new term for this that yeah. could be like what is your standout as a psychologist yeah so yeah so she began this inappropriate and predatory quote-unquote relationship with her student and he has a name that I'm very unfamiliar with and I wasn't able to look it up beforehand and I always try to, so I apologize. Um, Vili Fulau, maybe? Um, How is Vili spelled? V-I-L-I. Yeah, I knew someone named Vili. In high school. Yeah, and then the last name is F-U-A-L-A-A-U. Um, so no guesses Fulau. <laughs> Um, So Vili was once a student in Mary Kay's second grade class and eventually um, her sixth grade class. In the summer of 1996, Vili was about 12 years old, going on 13. Mary Kay was found by police in her car parked by the marina with Vili inside. What? When Vili... So when the police arrived, Mary Kay jumped from the back seat to the front seat and Vili, who was in the back seat, pretended to be asleep. When the police asked for their identities, they both gave fake names and Vili told the police that he was 18 years old. Vili also insisted that there had been no touching between he and Mary Kay. Obviously suspicious that somebody who visibly looked like a 12 year old said that they were 18. The police brought both of them in to the police station. At the station, the police called Billy's mom. The police apparently did not give her the full story. Basically, the police told her that her son was found with his teacher, Mrs. Latorno, and then the police asked Billy's mom what she wanted to do. The police did not ask her to come in. They did not tell her that they suspected any anything inappropriate had gone on between the two of them, and nor did they tell her that Billy had lied about his age. So when they asked her what she wanted um, to do, uh, Billy's mom said, oh, just send him home with his teacher. She can take him home. Um, so later, after learning the details of everything, his mom said if that she had known more information, she never would have allowed that woman anywhere near her son after that moment. Um, so following this, uh, so at that point, nobody was charged. Um, they like were sent on their way. And following that, Mary Kay continued inappropriate um, sexual contact with Billy. Nine months after this incident, uh, someone related to Mary Kay's husband found out what Mary Kay was doing to this child and called the police. On March 4th, 1997, Mary Kay was arrested. Mary Kay had no logical choice but to plead guilty to two counts of second-degree child rape. Why did she have no logical choice, you ask? Because at the time of her arrest, Mary Kay was seven months pregnant with her first child with Billy. Oh, my God. That's yeah. Horrible. And so the child, a daughter whose name, like both of their kids or yeah, the kids names are just like out, out there. I'm not going to say, um, but they gave birth to a daughter um, at the end of May 1997 while Mary Kay was awaiting being sentenced. And so prosecutors in Mary Kay's case wanted wanted her to be sentenced to only six and a half years for raping a 12 year old boy. Um, however, Mary Kay was offered a plea deal, which why I'm not sure. I wish you guys could see the anger on my face. Um, 
And so as part of that plea deal, she was sentenced to only six months, not in prison, but in county jail, only three of which that she actually had to serve. And she was ordered to go undergo three years of sex offender treatment, but was not required to register herself as a sex offender. You know, in what? Addition, I, I, I want to say that, like, oh, they went lighter on her because she was a woman. But you know what? They still are. I think you can point to a lot of cases where they aren't harsh on men. Like, just look yeah. at the Brock Turner case of like, For sure. OK, clearly you should have been in jail for a little bit longer than that. I think so, and I don't mean to say anything wrong um, in this case. Um, I do think it's a different type of a situation. Not that different, but it's like one thing if it's inappropriate sexual contact with an adult. Um, and And I think that is horrible. And I think people need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law when that happens. Mm -hmm. I think it is like like in a completely different stratosphere when we are talking about raping a child and for me like the fact that it began when he was 12 years old like a teacher yeah and she was a teacher i think that there are certain states um that carry like a mandatory like minimum if a kid if the victim is under the age of 12 or something like that um and i don't believe that minimum is three months in county jail but yeah, I think in terms of sentencing, like considering that we live in a country that like you can get found with like the smallest amount of like marijuana and go to jail for like 15 years right. um, and then do something as horrific and vile and violent as this and only get three months. I think that we have a lot of sentencing reform that needs to happen um, right. sooner rather than later. And, like, um, I do I do want to have some empathy in this situation. So here's where it gets a little iffy on from, from my perspective is that a lot of the people who do end up perpetrating or who do end up being predators have experienced, you know, sexual abuse or rape themselves. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, if that goes untreated, if, you know, it happens when they're a kid and is, you know, they just grow up with it and like I said, like the system fails them and doesn't get them connected with the care that they need or, or whatever. And, and in this case, it sounds like she had a really tough going about it, like growing up. So I yeah. do want to have some empathy in, in that case of, you know, it's, it, it can sometimes be like a product of yeah. you growing up. And, and I feel, I feel for you if that happened for you as a child. Yeah. Um, and that's not fair. And, you know, I, I really don't want you to end up perpetrating and making someone else feel that way. But in a sense, like, it can affect the way that you think and the way that you process. And especially in this case, I think um, yeah, she probably didn't feel comfortable, like, seeking out. Because if you think about it, it's like, it's like control. So when a woman perpetrator or a man is in the situation they have complete control whether it's physically because they can like literally physically overpower the other person or just you know that they have this authority especially being their teacher she had this power over this person so they feel completely comfortable in that situation because they have all the power which you can see if they had some bad things happen to them before that they would you know really crave that power in a relationship but that doesn't make it okay and you know it just creates this horrible cycle yeah, That's I totally, I to totally that. agree. I don't mean to hijack um, your case. And, no, 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 you're fine. Um, I totally agree. And 
that's kind of why I wanted to you like bring up um, that like detail um, about her father. Um, one, I'm not going to speculate and say that she experienced anything that I haven't read, um, but at the very least, there you at such a critical or a sensitive period of your life, something like that happening, like her father, like having inappropriate sexual contact with a student um although the student was as far as i understand it at least 18 years old at the time um at the very least can probably warp her sense of right and wrong Mm -hmm. or at the very least make gives her a different idea of what is okay or possibly expected of her and um obviously even like you know not saying that she experienced any inappropriate sexual contact herself but something that traumatic or something that public because he was a public figure um and not in her being i think about 10 years old at the time and not like getting um possibly the therapy the like care or whatever that she needed around that critical incident um i think could um could have had some lasting damage or lasting effects and yeah so even if like i don't know this is just why i'm a big proponent of therapy like get a paper cut go to therapy like i I just think therapy like is just it's it's good and i wonder what could have happened for her if she had intervention early um so yes, yeah going I back oh go, sorry on board with that 100 percent. i just wanted to, <laughs> i would just wanted to agree with you that okay. you know there's never i think a bad time to like get there like you don't you don't even have to have experienced like something horrible in your life or you know yeah. have like what you think is a mental illness to go to therapy um yeah everyone should just get therapy everyone <laughs> okay sorry um so yeah so um so she didn't have to register herself as a sex offender and in addition mary Kay was not allowed to have any contact with with billy um any of her children so that includes the four children that she had with her husband who she was still married to at this time um and her newborn child um or any other minors in january of 1998 mary Kay completed her sentence but two weeks later on february 3rd 1998 uh, police found billy in a car with mary Kay parked near her home once again they tried to outsmart police by giving fake information but it didn't work uh, police report that intercourse or rape um, by mary Kay had happened between them during that meeting Um, However, Billy insisted that they did nothing more than kiss and engage in some heavy petting. Um, This part is actually particularly sad to me. In my opinion, this boy had uh, been preyed upon and groomed by Mary Kay. And given his account of what happened during that meeting, sure, it's possible that he that what he said happened is what actually happened. But it's also possible that she had groomed him and coached him into thinking that intercourse was nothing more than kissing and heavy petting. Um, and that what they were doing wasn't wrong or um, possibly like given how sex education happens in this country did he even know what he was doing right um, well yeah when you say heavy petting it's like that's 
when you're you know interviewing a child like in a forensic setting you would want them to clarify that like Mm -hmm. because if he just said oh we were heavy petting and then moved on you're right like she could have said like oh this is just heavy petting or like yeah you want specifically in this case in this case i think he like he at least gave a specific advance example of he touched her inner thigh also Um, why didn't it sounds like they were he should have been removed from that environment and interviewed because if you're like in the car next to her while she can hear everything or even if you you know removed her from the car but you just like walked her down a little bit and like you know you're gonna go back to your house and your mom's gonna be upset with you um or like that you're gonna go back in the car with her and she's gonna take you home then that you know does not provide great motivation to say the right Mm -hmm. answer or to be honest like you don't feel protected at all in that situation the other that kind of leads to my other thought which um the other possibility is that she groomed him into protecting her um she groomed him into saying you know this is love this is what love is like what we are experiencing and they just don't like that and they're gonna try to take me away from you again Right. Um, and so a kid who feel who's being told that this is what love is and is in like, you know, when you love someone, it's your obligation to protect them. Like he could have been coerced, convinced, brainwashed, groomed into um, saying whatever it is that he felt like he needed to say to make sure that this person that he is being told like he loves or is being told that what they share between them is love. Um, like, it's his job to protect her. And so, either way, um, my heart hurts for this child and any child that's ever had to experience anything like this. Um, <clears throat> but still, uh, police found evidence that the two had met multiple times since her release from county jail. And so, Mary Kay was arrested once again. This time when she was arrested, she was found with over $6,000 in cash, baby clothes for her infant daughter, and her passport. Police also found receipts for almost $900 worth of young men's clothing and baby clothes. Of course, she lied to the police about these items. She said that like the money was for so she can go get cosmetic treatment and so she could go pay her lawyer. Um, and she also tried to explain that the men's clothing, clothing was for her because she likes clothes with a looser fit. Um, I mean, same, but that's not. <laughs> no. $900 is a lot. Um, <clears throat> you got enough so, money to get therapy, lady. <laughs> um, so in February of 1998, a judge revoked uh, the original plea deal and sentenced Mary Kay only to seven and a half years in prison, not for like having sex with this child once again um but specifically for violating the no contact order um and so again in my opinion seven and a half years does not even like it it, for me it's it's an inequitable sentence with the crime i think it should have been because at that point like you did it again you showed Mm -hmm. that you were not interested in like bettering yourself and that you cannot that you just went back and did the same exact thing. Like, at that point, I think it's yeah. more than justifiable to say, mm-hmm. okay, we gave you a chance, and you did the bad thing again, and again, and yeah. again. <laughs> so, um, eight months later, um, while in, um, I guess, pr- 
prison or police custody, Mary Kay gave birth to her second child with Willie. Um, this would be her sixth child altogether. Um, and surprise, um, that was because she raped him during their initial meeting after um, her her release from um, her three-month jail sentence, even though um, they both insisted that nothing more than kissing or having petting ever happened. Um, and so that same year, Mary Kay and Billy co-wrote a book together, and they had that book published in France. And the book was titled Only Crime, Love. And so Vomit. that... I yeah. promise. Yeah. And so that just kind of just shows like more like how in- deeply entrenched into believing that this was some sort of a healthy thing that the world just wasn't allowing them to have that I feel like um, Billy was kind of manipulated into um, whether or not he may agree. Um, that's just my perspective. Um And so it wasn't until 1999 that Mary Kay and her husband officially divorced. And so both of these children that were had with an underage child um, were had while she was married to another man and while her children were also young and in school. So um, my understanding at this time is that Villy's parents had custody of both their son and his two children, um, or at the very least, were they were in um Billy's parents care um while Mary Kay was in prison and so Mary Kay was released from prison in August 2004 Billy was 21 at the time the court order that mandated Mary Kay was to stay away from Billy did not specify an age limit therefore Mary Kay and Billy were not legally allowed to be in contact However, Billy went to the court and asked that they reverse the no contact order, and the court agreed. That following year, Billy and Mary Kay married. He was 22 and she was 43. Following um, get, following their wedding, I guess, uh, the two have, um, in my opinion, didn't really shy away from like a, a public life. They were relatively private. It's not like they were doing reality shows, but they did like speak to media um, quite a bit. Um, and so they've done several interviews where they discussed their quote unquote forbidden love. Um, in an A&E documentary in 2018, Mary Kay said, am I sorry that he's the father of my children and that we're married and that this is the man of my life? No, I'm not. Um, I watched a part of a relatively recent interview in which Mary Kay exhibited some concerning behaviors. The interviewer, in my opinion, was great. He was speaking to both Billy and Mary Kay and was basically like, I understand that you're married now, but do you understand that the start of this relationship, that all of the contact that you had together um, when Billy was a child was wrong, that it was immoral, that it was illegal and that it was predatory. Um, and Mary Kay really deflected. It like made me very like uncomfortable and like upset. Um, so she basically denied that she did anything wrong. And she insisted that Billy was the one who pursued her. What? And she oh, kept on. Yeah, and so she kept saying, she, like, she turned, like, her body language, like, it was just kind of, like, very, like, she was very, like, laid back, and so she was just, like, 
tell them that you were the pursuer tell them and she's just like facing him and like looking at him and he keeps he like at first you can see he starts he's like well i wouldn't and she's like tell them tell them that you were the pursuer and each time he would start to talk she would just say tell them that you pursued this um and so she just kept like interrupting him while he was like try to give his perspective and it just seemed in my opinion very like unhealthy and possibly like i felt like maybe giving a little bit of a glimpse into what the dynamic of their relationship possibly had been like um when he was still a child um and so together they raised um their two daughters um after she was out of prison and they were married um they got custody of their kids i guess um and in 2017 they filed for legal separation but they later withdrew that um and they filed again in 2019 um for just for separation so not for divorce um however as i said earlier mary Kay died this year um july of this year, I guess, July, 2020, um, from colorectal cancer reportedly with Billy by her side. Um, so yeah, that is the case of Mary Kay. Well, that was um, a fun one. <laughs> there's like, uh, there's a lot in it that I, some of it, I think mirrors a lot of like what some elements in your case. Um, but yeah, definitely when I, um, when I was looking at stories, when I like, google search and if it's like an old case sometimes i'll like limit the search to be like within like a couple years of like the original mm-hmm. like case and so there definitely was a lot of older posts or older um like articles that kind of um i guess beat around the bush like inappropriate sexual touching or inappropriate relationship um with their uh with her student um but if you look at articles anywhere from like 2011 on like in the headline i commend them they're like mary kayla tornu the woman who raped this child um i think i yeah i i think it's important to start classifying it that way um the overall case i just found it so i think it's different than like what you typically hear in particular when it comes to a woman who is raping a boy or a child at all um i feel like you don't typically see that they later on get married and then are together for like 20 years or so um yeah i will say i'm not that surprised though because the system did not intervene and did not allow this child to have a safe space where he was protected from this woman like even into adulthood it just seemed like they were never they did not try to separate or to prevent contact um so that i don't like maybe he never had the chance to i don't want to speak for him but maybe he never had the chance to like fully heal and fully you know kind of remove himself from her clutches because he never had adequate separation from her and he was always tied to her with children like having her children um well both their children um i think that that probably you know played a role in that and that is just well that's especially terrible like what do you do in that situation where you one of the parents of the child is a predator i don't know i also i do think though that more 
like they wrote a book together while she was in prison the second time like i feel like more could have been done to make sure that there was no contact between the two and i also like what like what is the like standard for removing somebody's parental rights because if raping a child multiple times isn't enough then i'm not really sure like even for me the fact that and i mean i these these girls are i think like possibly of age now i don't know but whether or not they had a happy childhood with their parents i think is like a little bit besides the point so much so of like why after repeated like failures in this area in the area of like child welfare and like protecting children why was this woman allowed to raise her own children like I, like for me like that is like a risk that like isn't worth taking for me and so just i i don't know i just feel like all like the the mark the the like mark was missed so many times with protecting both billy her children um i don't think that she seemingly got in any level of treatment right Um, she was not rehabilitated yeah and so it's just disappointing and then with him as well like you go from being a child in the clutches of your abuser to being a husband in the clutches of your wife who was once or possibly still is your abuser it just seems like very complicated um but i do hope that especially following her death that there is peace for everyone involved um yeah Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.